Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we're going to be talking all about the Sam Presti press conference. Happened on Monday. There was a lot of interesting content that came out of this one. Two hours and 13 minutes long. Kind of want to talk about not just those main subjects, but some of the sneaky quotes that Presti threw in there that might have gone under the radar. So I'll be addressing all that. And then I'll be rounding everything out with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here, guys, with the Sam Presti press conference. I mentioned it. You know, this thing was two hours and 13 minutes. And I think Clemente was the one that pointed out this was the same length as I think Morbius which is crazy to me and Brandon Rabar said that the average NBA game is two hours and 13 minutes so you basically got a whole 83rd game of just Sam Presti talking basketball which is a big win in my opinion for you guys as well probably so because he's one of those guys where he is so well spoken and you know, there's always some thought that goes into what he's talking about. You know, if you ask him a question that might just have a yes or no answer, he'll still go beyond that. He'll give you one to two minutes of really good stuff you can kind of pick apart. And he was able to do so until there were literally no more questions remaining. There was, uh, I think at the beginning of the presser, he was like, you know, I'm going to be answering questions till I need to start talking about the last book I read. He closed with the last book he read, which is pretty funny. But there was so uh, many great takeaways not just for the franchise outlook the roster outlook and everything in between Uh, just a very very fun experience to be covering uh, while it was going on so I picked apart about seven or eight of my favorite quotes that we got from this group I'll be playing those throughout the podcast if you want to listen to the full two hours of coverage I know down a dunk had uh, a clip of that posted also you can go to the OKC Thunders YouTube page but we'll just be having snippets here, and then we will also just be having some that do not have snippets, but I do think they are worth touching up on. And we're going to start here with the importance of physicality. As we all know, Oklahoma City has been just dipping in the defensive bucket for the last 10 years, it seems like. And as stated by Presti, you know, that's honestly what he is looking for. I believe it does, but we got to be more physical. So our team has to be more physical next season. Um, and that's, again, a tall order for a young team in the West. A lot of nights, you know, running uphill uh, at different points in time. But that doesn't mean everybody has to turn into Lou or Derek Favors. Everybody can be physical in their own right. But you can't play meaningful games or games of consequence if you're not playing physical and you're not competing. And uh, that's something we talked about um, you know, with the team before they left uh, on exit day was these are the things that good teams have to do and we best get to start doing them early um, because, you know, anyone that's watching uh, high-level games, whether they're in the postseason or the regular season, those games are physical. And that, while we're scratching and clawing as a team for all the margins we can get to establish ourselves this iteration of the Thunder in the NBA and in the West – we're going to have to scratch and claw on competing, being physical, and being a close-knit team that can win games when it matters. And I think we have a lot of that 
you know, a lot of that stuff. Um, it makes me think about a quote that um, I, I read a long time ago from uh, Albert Einstein, which says that not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. And that, to me, is what this team and the things you need to look at is all about. So, you know, for us, I think a lot of the stuff that really counts in the phase that we're in, you can't put a number on. You can't put a label on. It's stuff you have to really watch every game and every minute and watch the growth, the fallback, the failure, the learning, and coming back. So as you kind of heard from Sam Presti there, you know, he's talking about physicality. And surface-level physicality is what you got, like the Defensive Player of the Year, the Marcus Smarts, the Rudy Gobert's, the Lou Dortz, the Kenrich Williams's. But Presti pretty much was saying, like, that's not exactly what it has to be. It doesn't have to be a defensive contribution, just as long as the energy is there. And I'll say this, you know, back end of the season, OKC was gutted. They didn't have SGA. They didn't have Lou. Giddy was out of the picture, but they were still scratching and clawing, just like he was talking about. You started to see guys kind of come out of nowhere. Poku was getting in rhythm. Veet Krejci was starting to get some playing time. I'd say Teo maybe was getting a little bit more confident. But how about someone like Lindy Waters, you know, where physicality for him, is he diving after every loose ball? Maybe not, but this guy was getting to his spots from downtown like it was nobody's business physicality can come from that side of the basketball and it doesn't need to be a poster it has to be just getting open off those flybys kind of suiting your role correctly and when you have a full roster kind of in unison like that that's when you become that scary team you can kind of go down the roster I think that it's pretty obvious you know OKC was looking for effort uh, to close the season I think that's why someone like Isaiah Roby would be the starting center why JRE had been the starting five just because they saw, you know, they are willing to throw their bodies on the line and when those games get down to clutch time, they'll be able to depend on them from start to finish, uh, keeping that same level of effort. And that's something that Presti clearly wants to ingrain and he also wants to just ingrain a kind of a system and some building blocks into place. I was transcribing this, um, this like press conference for let's say three hours on Monday after it happened. I'm silly. You know, I, I forgot that the media team has that covered. So they sent out to uh, media inboxes about like 6 or 7 p.m. the full transcription. It's 24 pages. It's basically a book. I was typing. I don't even know if I got halfway in, to be honest with you. But the one thing that stood out was continuity. This is a word that Presty was throwing around consistently. And he was really just putting the stress level on it. So this is one of the probably like three quotes where continuity was addressed by Presti. But this is the one that really kind of stood out to me. Um, another aspect that I think is important, as I said, we've had one draft. We're heading into our second draft um, as we as we continue to reposition and, and rebuild the team. It also allows us to build some continuity which is really, in my opinion, very, very important in, in, in any sport. It's, it's kind of very tied to the Einstein quote, right? It's the stuff you can't see. Uh, a lot of times I think people think sports is all about transactions now, but really the molding and shaping of teams is happening in front of your eyes, and it's, it's really it's like watching grass grow. Um, continuity 
is critical to that. Now, the way the system is set up now, and I mean the, the league system, it's really meant to fracture continuity. It's shorter contracts, um, player moving all over the place. The way you can overcome that is um, if you have you know, bottomless financial resources, you can kind of blow through all of those rules. But otherwise, it's layering on younger players to try to build that out. And we've now got some guys that have played four years together, three years together. We'll add another group. That continuity is really, really important for us to continue to kind of replenish the group and let guys learn each other, play with each other. And through that competition, you'll start to identify the needs that, we, that, that we'll need to fill over time. So I think with this Presti quote, you kind of, and I'll get back to those levels of where this franchise started from. You know, you had those three consecutive drafts where you're getting MVP, 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 Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. He had a pretty fun um, comparison for all those, or, or nicknames, I guess you could say. But you kind of had that foundation. Obviously, James gets traded, but they had that core. I'd say after KD gets traded, you still have another core with, let's say, uh, Russ and PG. Now they've just completely shuffled the deck up again. And you want to get kind of that main roster moving forward. You know, this isn't going to be a like franchise um, run like the 76ers when, when they were in the trust of process days. Sure, they got a couple of good players out of it, like um, Robert Covington, for example. But, you know, for the most part, they were just bringing guys in for like a month and they're just cutting them off and they never returned again. That's not what's going on in Oklahoma City. They want to get that foundation, and then they'll start working towards the bench and towards kind of filling in the gashes a little bit. And I think it's safe to say they've done that. They've sort of had that main core now with SGA and Lou Dort both for the last three seasons. You can throw Baisley in that pile if you'd like to as well. Uh, And then you're building out, obviously, with what you've done in the last two draft classes, I would say last draft class probably has a little bit more weight towards um, two years ago, but they are still part of the group, right? Like Poku and Maladon, they had significant roles last season. And even this year, you know, they were kind of bouncing around the G League ranks, the bench role, like they know the ins and out of the franchise now. And I think that really does help you in terms of kind of connecting with everybody on the team you get used to those environments and for you know Giddy and Trey Mann even Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Aaron Wiggins they've had plenty of time to adjust now and the opportunities are all there and because you have SGA out and because you have Lou Dort out for extended time it means that the duties just got shifted tenfold and next year things will be a bit different right like I don't expect to see Poku taking the ball past the timeline you know isoing up for himself that's going to be SGA Giddy and maybe a draft pick if uh, they elect to go with another like playmaker or something but you know it gave them kind of the the opportunity to assess their teammates understand their strengths and weaknesses and move on from there and that's what you need with those big teams you know if you're going to make a run it has to be a team effort it's not going to be playing through your star and everybody else hates you you know that's going to lead to a straight up train wreck And the way that OKC is working now, seems like no one's really unhappy with the situation. The only one that might have been would have been Gabrielle Deck. But, you know, that was was an interesting situation. I could say that one was fairly warranted, that he was uh, a little bit unhappy. But with everybody else, it seems like they are, you know, really trusting what is going on now. And that's what you want to have moving forward uh, as the Thunder look to 
tap into playoff potential maybe in the next couple of years or so. And I'm going to be going into how they can break into the playoffs, kind of what uh, that plan would look like uh, according to Presti in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can bet also on NBA games with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing on this path, though, of player developments and, you know, what the future could behold. One thing that I think is going to be clearer come lottery night is just simply the trajectory of this team, right? Like, you are done with two seasons going sub-30 wins, being fourth in lottery standings, and you've had some good moments, but, you know, the playoff opportunity just hasn't been there. Obviously, if you had a healthy SGA, you had a healthy Lou, they would have broken 30 wins, and this would have been an entirely different situation. But where you are now is you're with this group that has a pretty good foundation already, like Presti has kind of wanted. But if you're looking to make that run, you probably want to add maybe one or two more key contributors you think uh, can turn into something special in this rebuild. Because we know SGA is very talented. We know Giddy's very talented. Same with Lou Dort, same with Trey Mann. And you have a decent amount of players that you could potentially see as role players on a playoff team. Would you say they're going to be contending with that roster? I don't think so. There definitely are some missing links, and you want to get that through draft picks, ideally. You're in a very small market in Oklahoma City. Free agency is never going to work for you. Nerland's Noel is, like, far and away their best free agent signing, and, you know, at the time Patterson signed his deal, that was the greatest one OKC has seen. That's really saying something, man. Like, no one chooses to go to Oklahoma City when you got the Miami Palms, you know, right in front of you. You're probably going to go to Miami, and that's just how it kind of goes, given the, the market here. But when you build through the draft, you're able to get those diamonds yourself and kind of get the team that ultimately you want. With this, last two seasons, OKC has been the poster boy for tanking for lack of better words. You know, people have coined them as tankers because injuries, 
you know, throwing their 10-day guys in the mix to close the season out. And it was unique. You know, they, they were definitely shunning away from their rotational players late, but I think a lot of teams were, and that's just how it goes. Now, Presti was kind of talked about this, and someone brought it, that to the table, like, you know, how they sort of concluded the season and, you know, what meaningful games are to him. And here's the response that he gave for that. Next season, um, you know, we're going to let the season unfold just like we have every season we've been here. Um, we don't walk into the season with a preconceived notion of what the year is going to be. Uh, luckily for us, I mean, uh, in 2020, everybody picked us to win 20 games or something like that. We win it, We finished on a 52-game pace. Um, we were able to make a decision halfway through the year around the trade deadline as to how we wanted to manage the second half. We did that again last year uh, and the year before, where we come into the year, let everybody set their predictions. I think there was probably some people um, that picked us to win 15 games or 16 games. Again, luckily, we don't listen to them. Um, and we play the year out. Now, if we get to a situation where we're out of the ability to play games of consequence or meaningful games, then, we shift, then we've shifted to development, which is, I think, the responsible thing to do for any organization, and every organization does that. Um, but we don't walk into the season eyeing how the season's going to go because the one thing you know is, Whatever the whatever your expectations are, that's what it won't be, <laughs> because there's only one way for you to meet your expectation, and there's about two billion ways for it not to go that way. So we'll do the same thing next year, see where we are, um, compete, continue to focus on how we're working, not what we're trying to accomplish, um, and play it from there. Um, so. I would say that we're closer to being the team we want to be this season than we were last season. But we're still really far away from ultimately getting to a level that we want to be at. Um, but I definitely think we're in a better position than we were one year ago. The way we're going about things, my hope is we're able to say that for um, the foreseeable future, that each season is a build and can be built upon, and that um, we're in a position to absorb some bad luck or a disappointing year or regression in any way, and not feel like um, you know we've 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 uh, put all our eggs in one basket. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were good for so long um, in in the past. So I think that quote right there was sort of like the money line. You know, if you're looking for a, a good Twitter grab, something to post online, you're taking that snippet because out of context. You know, you hear the usage of, like, meaningful games, uh, development, like, uh, the quote, I'm trying to find exactly where it is. Yeah, he says, if we get to a situation where we're out of the ability to play games of consequence or meaningful games, then we've shifted to developing. That's kind of the one where you're thinking, that's what they did last season, maybe even two seasons ago. Does that mean they're throwing the towel out? And there was another uh, kind of snippet where Presti was kind of confident OKC could have got 40 wins this year, you know, barring injuries and all that. That kind of works towards this little narrative too, where it just sounds like the Thunder are outright tanking. And I wouldn't say that's what it is. You got to remember, you know, uh, the Thunder were pretty good going into, let's say like mid-December. And then you started to see a lot of injuries due to COVID 
And then January comes around, SGA gets hurt, JRE gets hurt, Dort gets hurt in February, and Giddy not that far after. Like, they were down a good bit of players. So, you know, like it or not, they were kind of already in developmental mode after everything like that happened. I think the main stretch is when you start seeing the starting units that are basically Oklahoma City Blue starting fives that did come into fruition, and you can kind of understand that point of view. Presti covered it later, but... You know, they really wanted to get some hardship exceptions in the door. They were able to do so, and that was just the the only bit of time they had to play. So they put them on kind of a pedestal there to give them ample opportunities. You know, this go-around next season doesn't really matter who is up next. I think it's still the same conversation of, you know, where where are they going to look like going into the final 10 or so games of the, of the year? If they are still in playing contention... You know, you could see them try to stock up to the eighth or ninth seed or something like that. But if they're already eliminated from the playoffs, can you really blame the Thunder for doing that? And can you blame any other franchise for doing so? You started to see teams like the Trailblazers start trending Watford major, major minutes. You started to see Drew Eubanks, for example, playing 40 minutes. They got him off the waiver wire. And that just kind of continues. Ignas Brogdigas and Admiral Schofield are playing huge, huge time for the Orlando Magic. And it's because they want to make sure they get good draft picks. If you're going to work all season long and there's no real reward in sight, I think you do have to shift towards that mindset of best asset accumulation. And that ultimately is what it falls upon. It wasn't like they were just throwing out their worst potential lineups. You can make the case that those were extremely makeshift and probably not built to last that long. But, you know, those guys have played a good amount with the blue. And under all the circumstances, I think that it was okay with me on how they sort of address things. So with that little, like, games of consequence snippet, you can definitely just conclude it to that one sentence, but you miss a lot of the context here. It sounds like going into the season, there's never any expectations. They kind of just gradually figure out where they're going to land and sort of evaluate from that point moving forward. And one of the things that comes with this is lots of teams who get stuck um, kind of in the developmental cycle or last like month of the season, they're teetering around the play-ins. They end up getting stuck in the middle. And as said by Presti, Lots of teams fall into it. He's not wanting to get OKC in that same situation. 23 lottery. Well, that's the, I mean, the team itself. You're answering your own question, Joe. The, the, the team is the thing that's going to drive you forward. It's the improvement of the current players. Now, we need some guys to come back better shooters, but I don't think that's a huge expectation for younger players that have all summer to work and are highly driven and like that's generally what happens guys get better like we're going to need some steps to be taken um for that to happen um but yeah the the nba is the nba is pulling the best teams to the middle and they're pulling the worst teams to the middle that's how it's designed i mean if you look at the top of the league in five-year increments the teams that are at the top of the league Generally speaking, one, maybe two, will still be there in five years. The teams at the bottom, they're not going to be at the bottom either because they'll get 
they'll get pulled 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 to the middle as well. Um, and that's that's the way the system's supposed to work. You know, that that's what it's supposed to work. We want to be in a position where we feel like once we if we get to that level, hopefully we will get to that level, it's on our way towards something greater. Um, but if the team gets there rapidly, well, we'd be way ahead of schedule, you know, comparing comparatively to the rest of the history of the league, you know, uh, especially without any good fortune or something like that. So um, it, it doesn't it's not something like we can control. It's more we want the players to get better. They want to get better. And that we have to see where that takes us. So speaking of the draft, um, just. Yeah. So to me, that quote I think on the surface level, just looks like a basic answer, right? Like, just kind of seeing how everything goes with the roster. He mentioned there hasn't been a lot of good fortune for them. The draft lottery tends to not go their way, especially last year. Uh, They got a really, really tough draw with Houston going at number two, and then obviously OKC sliding to pick number six. But I really hone in on one in particular point here. He said the NBA is pulling the best teams to the middle and they're pulling the worst teams to the middle. That's how it is designed. If you look at the top of the league in five-year increments, the teams that are at the top of the league, one, maybe two, will still be there in five years. So he's basically saying the system that currently is in place um, is is kind of set to keep new teams in and out of the system. It's hard to have that stability like what OKC had uh, once they relocated over back in 2008 so he's obviously looking to you know make this a big a big deal right like I think the quote from his last presser was he wants it to be an arrival not an appearance I think this really fits perfectly into what he was talking about there you know OKC they want to position themselves by the end of this so-called rebuild to where they're going to be steady, not just for the next three, four years, but beyond that. They want to have the foundation with one of the youngest teams in the NBA to make multiple playoff runs. And you do need a good storm of things to happen. You need to get the lottery balls uh, for sure. And then obviously development needs to go part of the course. And hopefully you're able to kind of iron all that stuff out. But, you know, they, they want to be kind of in that... A category to where you're not stuck fighting and playing games. You know, you want to be one of those top four seeds on a consistent basis and be one of the teams that is fighting for the Larry O'Brien, not just from the start, but until the very end. And you see a lot of teams this season. And I guess you could say there's just a lot of teams in general that could be contending. But you also look at it, man. Lots of teams are just kind of clumped in the same situation where you know they have one or two really good players to build off of but if you're gonna look at it they're probably not a championship contender just yet I think OKC's uh kind of wanting to sway away from that I wouldn't say that like those Russ and PG days were chalked up as non-championship caliber because I'll tell you what whenever Russ PG and Melo were uh first all banded together they were looked at as one of the highly regarded teams in the western conference and hell paul george took the clippers to like the conference finals last year so you're most definitely able to stay in the race but i think that sam presti is kind of one in that second kind of burst of what we saw in that first dynasty so 
I think that with this, yet again, it's him just talking about building that continuity up and really just keeping things natural. They don't want to just make moves for the sake of making moves. If they feel like they're going at a steady pace, they're going to stay at that pace until they think they can throw everything on deck and they're going to be at that elite status. So one of the parts of this question um, talked about you know improvement, in particular SGA, Josh, Trey, what they're going to be able to do. Uh, but the other thing of it was you have all this development on one side, but on the other you have a really good lottery on the horizon. When you're talking about the 2023 draft class, you got Scoot Henderson and Victor, uh, who's like a seven foot three, <laughs> just like sharpshooter right now. If you look at his highlights out of uh, ASVL, he's killing it. And that's actually the same team that Teo came out of, which is pretty cool. But yeah, those uh, those top two players are insane. And the speculation is that a bunch of teams are going to be looking to hunt towards the bottom. I believe Joe Musato was the one who answered uh, the question I'm talking about right now, or he asked it. I think that's kind of where he was trying to get at. Like, you know, are you planning on kind of going back into uh, the tank race or whatever you might want to call it? You know, this was something where I think he's just letting things ride and he'll see how it goes. This is a very fun quote, though, talking about just the middle and how easy it is to kind of fall into that category because lots of people complain about, uh, you know, just like being a tanking team. But if you're able to get one of those generational prospects, you're able to fly up the boards. They've fixed things now. You know, we saw Memphis jump from eight to two to get John Morant, and they're looking amazing. But it's not very common that you will see that stuff happen. Anyways, that was one of the cool ones uh, that I kind of heard on the the Zoom call, but the biggest one of the day has to go to this, and I got to preface it by saying this is one that kind of went under the the radar a little bit. Most of the big stories were like talking about like James Harden being a warrior, Kevin Durant being, you know, this and that, like a basketball god, but this was another story that Presti brought up. There was there was one where he mentioned Shea and how he was, you know, in the facility when um, Westbrook had just been traded. And that was obviously like a odd, odd time in the hour. I believe it was the morning. But this one, I think, actually has huge value. And it's a really great story. This comes from the 2009-2010 season when OKC skyrocket into a a 50 win team and you start to really see the pieces come into play for that group so here is a little listen into that story we were a 50 win team we're pretty good but we every time we played memphis denver la we would get thrown around like 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 a doll you know like like ragdoll so by playing those games and going into those situations, it became clear to us, okay, this is an issue, right? Now, if we just looked at the team and tried to predict, okay, we need this. Well, we're forecasting a need before we even know what it is we're trying to fix. And so we could have found somebody, but I don't know that the person we would have gotten would have been able to do what Kendrick Perkins did for us, which got us to four out of six Western Conference Finals or something like that. So you have to play the games. You're going to have to run up against some ceilings. But if you're just so hell-bent on um, 
filling something, I think you really run the risk of not understanding what you're willing to go for. So you need to buy a shirt. You just buy the first one off the rack. At the time, you need a small, but what if the team grows to the point where it needs a large? You know, and you're 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 stuck in a small. So I I, I wouldn't make it like a priority as to what you need today, because there's a lot of things. Once you fix one thing, you're gonna have another thing. It's never a perfect team, even even the best teams you can think of are not perfect. Um, but we need to make sure that these other things I talked about, mentality, physicality, um, the development of the guys, because the other thing about that question is the team is changing. So Shay, Josh, like to think that we know today exactly what they need would be pretty pretentious. So they're going to, you know, they're going to evolve as well. Um, so we do the best we can, you know, but we're going to be learning along the way and say, oh, okay, to play in high-level games, this is what we need. We're not just trying to figure out how to win two more games next year. You know what I mean? We could do that, but that solution doesn't necessarily mean it's the best long-term solution for the team. So this one to me has to be the biggest quote from the press conference slipped in there you know you start things off talking about the the 0910 season like i was talking about lots of sunshines and rainbows from that one they exceeded expectations you have that young core of westbrook you just get hardened in the mix now you have kevin durant and you know they got to the playoffs to face the lakers that was a a big time series for them uh, but you know we talked about the road bumps you looked at that you know 09010 lineup there were some front court issues. Now you had Jeff Green at the four and he'd add Christage at the five spot. But those teams that just go and eat around the basket, such as Memphis with Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph, the LA Lakers, I believe at the time, you know, you had Paul running the show uh, below the rim and hell, even Andrew Bynum a little bit. It was chaotic for them and they needed to fix that. That was the kind of primary thing, but they were looking good. You know, this is the second year of them being Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City. And just two years later, they're finally uh, out there and they're making a, their presence known. They made the finals that season. The thing with that was you had those years, those like three years of trying to connect the dots and find the right pieces. As Presti talked about, he thought the big issue was with the center spot, made the trade with the Boston Celtics, offloaded Green. Uh, to get Kendrick Perkins, and then they were off and running with that, because obviously you had Serge Ibaka, who was also blossoming during that time as well, but that was uh, that was something, and I think him kind of laying off and waiting until there was the perfect guy was instrumental to them making the finals and staying successful. Ideally, you get someone maybe a bit better than Kendrick Perkins, but he did a suitable job there, and he did help you with your objective at the center. And I think now it still holds firm. He gave the comparison of like a t-shirt, you know, you could be in a small right now, but in two, three years, when you're looking to play on the big stage, you need a large, the small is not going to work. And the way that I view this, I think this is maybe the biggest because I said it to begin the podcast. Sam Presti is so well-spoken. He's articulate Every word he says, I think there's some meaning to it, and 
this little story slash like uh, just way of thinking really stuck out to me. I think when you break down the biggest hole on this Thunder roster, clearly there's multiple. You know, they're not good at threes. Defensively, they could uh, use some help. But the center spot is atrocious, right? Like, they do not have that primary five. And, you know, maybe you get someone on the market in a year or two. Like, Domas was traded over uh, this trade deadline, and he's one of the better centers around the league. You could make that jump, but... Are you already prepped for that? Are you ready to make that jump? If not, might want to hold off on it. I think that same process probably came into play during the draft, actually. You look at last season. Alperin Sengun was right there at pick number 16. Every sign was pointing towards Sengun being a lottery pick. Even signs that OKC could trade up into the lottery to grab him. He's right there for the taking. They do not have a center so much potential. It seemed like the perfect fit. And then they trade the pick away to the Houston Rockets. Now, there was great value there. You get two first round picks. They're protected. If I was at the desk, I don't know if I make the deal, honestly. If you're really sold on Sangoon, I think you'd take Sangoon. But that trade, to me, kind of showed, you know, unless they are sold on their guy or they're sold on an in particular guy, they're not going to reach based on position. If they wanted to go after that, they would have taken Sangoon. Instead, they got Jeremiah Robinson Earl at number 32, where you're not getting offered two future first round picks for him anyways. So it's worth that gamble. There was a lot of value with Sangoon. So you can see why you make the trade. The thing is though, I think that tells you like, hey, he's already mentioned during this that he's okay, kind of taking some time. They want to go at their own pace. If they're on the board at pick number 12 or whatever it might be, and you've got Jalen Duran up there, he seems like the perfect fit. Amazing lob threat. You could see a lot of dynamics between him and the backcourt. Sounds awesome. But if Presti is not loving that, and instead he sees another prospect, let's just say Dyson Daniels as an example. Let's say he loves Dyson Daniels. He thinks that he fits into that large-scale shirt in the blueprint. Very well could see that man fly off the board. You know, Presti has been known to just target his guy. We saw that last season. Giddy wasn't supposed to go at number six. You rewind multiple seasons ago, like Josh Hustis. I don't have any recollection of him being a first round projected pick. Same goes with even Robertson. I think that he probably had that that range though. Hustis is the big one that uh, sticks out to me. They're just willing to take whoever they like and see how everything pans out though. And I think that's going to stay that way. So I don't know if positional needs are going to be the priority. I think it's still kind of best player available. This is a young group. You have a ton of assets. If they believe they can trade and get a center, I think they might just leave the center blank again and maybe try again either through a trade or a draft in the upcoming future. That was one, though, that uh, really did, really did stand out. So that was kind of the big one to close things off. I do have some quotes from the Oklahoma City Blue side of things. He had some moments talking about that. Pretty big hidden stories. Also some more 
kind of snippet types that I think are very intriguing. If you guys follow the OKC Blue, make sure to tune in to tomorrow's episode. But for today, that's going to wrap things up, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.